Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about gardening with wild plants and some of my favorite wild herbs to incorporate into garden designs or to leave in the gardens that they pop up in. Before we get started, I want you to know that I am not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Reach out and tell me what you want to know or ask me a question about herbs or health by sending me an email to healthyherbpodcast at gmail. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. I want to start with a funny story a few years ago. I was invited to speak at our local garden club on the island, and I decided to talk about incorporating wild herbs into garden design. And I love the topic. It's something that I love to do um, with my garden designs, with my gardens at home, and it's the herbs that I really love to work with. Um, But I realized after the fact that, you know, here I am talking to these elder gardeners who've been gardening for 40 or more years, probably. And I'm talking to them probably about the plants that they have been weeding out of their gardens and have been trying to get out of their gardens for years and years. And here I am like, oh, yeah, like, you definitely want to have this herb in your garden and this is how you can put it. And I'm looking out at this audience and it's just kind of these deadpan looks and I don't know. Needless to say, I did not get invited back to speak again. So maybe I chose the wrong topic. But for me, it is, um, you know, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And so I would like to share it with you as well and hopefully you won't have the same experience as the garden club members likely had. In the past two podcast episodes, I was talking a bit about wildcrafting and things you need to know and how to do do it with an ethical mindset and an ecological approach. And one really easy way to make sure that you are doing so is to grow your own wild herbs. And then you know the population 
that you're working with. You know what plants are important to you to work with. And you can manage the population as you want instead of going out to an actual wild population of medicinal plants and having to really assess, you know, what is going to be an ethical way and a proper way and a sustainable way to harvest and work with them. There are many common wild medicinal plants, often considered to be weeds, um, that look beautiful in gardens and can be really nicely incorporated into a landscape so that you offer in your design a a nice mix of wild and cultivated, a nice hybrid, so to speak, of a garden design where you're blending in some wild plants with some really nice, you know, showy cultivar plants from your local plant nursery. And the benefit of also adding these medicinal plants, not only for their beauty and their unique uh, physical attributes, but also for their medicinal benefits. And when you have these plants that are in your garden, the gardens that you're tending and working in daily or at least weekly, and that you see every time you come and go from your house, it's a lot easier to build a relationship with these medicinal plants and these wild plants. And once you build a relationship with them in your own place where you live, then it's easier to maintain that connection when you go elsewhere, um, either on walks um, or when you're traveling and you see these plants, you still have that connection with them even though you are not necessarily at home. Other benefits of having these wild plants in your garden is it's easier to wild harvest them. You don't have to go and travel to a wild location where you are harvesting these wild plants. You can harvest them right at your home in your garden um, where you can ensure their health and you can ensure the health of the soil where they are from. And then you can easily just bring them inside and prepare them properly before they you know, have to take a long car ride home and they might not be as pristine and uh, perky, so to speak, uh, and ready to be made into medicine if you, you know, have to drive them a long way to get to your house. The other benefit of working with plants that grow right in your immediate ecosystem, like right in your own backyard, is that they can help us adapt to our immediate ecosystem because they, even more so than we, need to be able to adapt to the local environment, whether it's viruses or bacteria or insects or drastic weather changes or anything that could that could be happening in the local immediate environment that would also be affecting our own personal health so the plants are adapting to it and then when we consume the plants then their chemistry can also help cue us into our own environment and also help us to adapt to it as well 
it's you know growing medicinal plants that are wild in your garden can also be beneficial if the plants are already endangered in the wild and then you can tend to these endangered plants and grow them and help to promote their populations to increase you can save their seeds or take root cuttings and then spread them in the wild back into the wild and kind of use your garden as as a nursery hub for these wild plants that then you can start seeding back into the wild and you can also you know promote the populations of the wild plants and spread them out from your garden so you can have a few you know precious plants that are in the garden itself and then you can gather their seeds and then in the surrounding vicinity even if it is still on the land that you live or the neighboring land if no one minds then you can you know spread those seeds to to just increase the populations in general and increase the biodiversity both of the land that you live on and um, surrounding vicinities a, a benefit of a lot of these wild medicinal plants is they tend to be quite tenacious and they don't necessarily need really nutrient-rich soil. And some maybe even would thrive in soil that is not super rich and garden-like soil. Some plants would would thrive more in you know rocky or sandy or low-nutrient-dense soils because that's what they are evolved to handle, or a soil that's been very compacted. So if you have a part of your garden or your yard that is not necessarily good quality soil for picky garden plants, then you can incorporate some of these medicinal plants that, that thrive in that kind of soil and still have beautiful corners of your living outdoor living space even if the soil is not ideal and then these plants often will help to build the quality of the soil over time and so in the long run what was not once very good soil when growing these wild plants that have really nice deep tap roots and large foliage that can rot back down into the ground and build the soil quality and build the nutrition of the soil then in time, you will have really nice garden soil in those spots. So these plants that are kind of, you know, they're like the first succession of plants. They come into disturbed areas or really hard packed soils. They can be nice introductions to your yard where you are wanting there to be a garden, but the soil is just not there yet. You can promote the health of these wild weeds and then in time, the soil will be better, and then you can add other uh, pickier plants to that garden area. It really depends on, you know, if you usually the medicinal plants, if you're working with them for their medicinal or anti infective properties, or, you know, not necessarily for their nutrition, but for more as a medicine then sometimes those plants are going to produce the chemistry that is more medicinal if they are stressed or in an environment 
that is not cushy and ideal and, you know, organic, rich garden soil. However, if you're looking for at the herbs that you are hoping that they will be useful in improving your own personal nutrition, if you want them to be very nutrient rich and they're more nourishing herbs than medicinal herbs, then those are the herbs that you do want to be growing ideally in really nutrient rich soil. So it gives them more nutrition to take into their being and then you can take them into your being and along with all of the nutrition that they've gained from that really healthy soil. So part of determining, you know, where, which plants are going to thrive and be best in your really nice garden soil versus, you know, the edge of your property where maybe, or your a place in your garden that is not nutrient rich soil will determine which plants you put in those places. I have lots of herbs that I love, wild plants that I love to incorporate into gardens. And I'm gonna talk about some of them and how, how I like to incorporate them, what they would look like in a garden design and how to incorporate them into the garden. I will incorporate the herbs in a couple different ways. Sometimes I'll just, if they just pop up in the garden, I might just leave them in that spot and kind of work around it and plant plants around them that will look nice and just let them thrive where they decide that they want to grow. And in other cases, I will actually maybe transplant them around the garden to a place that makes more sense or transplant them from the wild if they transplant easily into the garden in a place that makes sense or I'll take seeds from a wild population and bring those to the garden and spread them in areas that I think that they will look nice in. The first plant I'd like to talk about is mullein. And mullein is is just a beautiful and stately plant. Mullein lives for two years. The first year, it is just a basal rosette, which means it has large leaves that grow in a circle on ground level. And then in the second year, the mullein shoots up a stalk that can be quite tall. It can be really up to six feet tall. Not usually, but it can get quite tall. And it has, it can either be a candle abra looking where it branches out or it can just be one solid stalk with a yellow flower head where the flower, there are small flowers that kind of clump around at the top. And It's beautiful. The leaves are soft and fuzzy and almost a silvery green. And they can be quite large and quite tall. So they make a nice background of a garden or 
back corners of the garden where you could have like two mullins or two mullen patches on either back end of a garden. And that's really beautiful. The mullen is beneficial for so many things, but it's most known as a lung tonic and restorative, helping to improve the functioning of the lungs if people are prone to asthma or bronchitis, or even if you have um, you know, spasmodic coughing, it can really help to calm. That's a really nice benefit. And then the root itself, which would be harvested in the fall of the first year, is known to help uh, relieve pain, especially in the back. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, one of my other favorite wild herbs to put in a garden is an herb called self-heal. It's also called Heal All. Its botanical name is Prunella vulgaris. And this is a really common lawn weed. So it grows in most lawns that I found, at least in New England. And it has these beautiful little purple flower heads that are almost like a little cone. They are in the mint family, although they are a scentless mint. And they um, are grow low to the ground. So if you mow your lawn, they will still bloom and they'll just bloom at the height of your lawn that you keep mowing. But if you are able to take a plant and plant it in your garden, it actually is really beautiful. It doesn't necessarily spread or take over. It forms a nice small clump and it makes a really nice like front border plant, like a front edge plant. And it's simple, it's delicate, it has some nice purple color that blooms throughout the summer, especially if you continue to harvest it. And I'd say it maybe grows four or five, six inches tall maybe at the most. So it's just kind of a nice ground cover, though it's not a ground cover that totally takes over. And self-heal, for me, the number one thing that I think of it for, or number two things that I think of it for, one is improving the health of our lymphatic system and just helping to support immune function. And then also as a topical wound healer, it's really beneficial. So either um, a tincture is nice of just the aerial tops, the flowers and the leaves, or an infused oil for making herbal salves with is really nice. Another absolute favorite must-have herb in the garden, wild herb in the garden, is Hypericum perforatum, also known as St. John's wort or St. Joan's wort. And this plant is beautiful. It blooms in the height of summer, right around summer solstice or a little bit after, depending on how north you are. And it has vibrant yellow, small yellow flowers that cover the top of the plant. And if you um, continue to harvest the yellow flowers, it will continue to bloom for quite a while. It has small, delicate leaves and you know you have the right Hypericum species if you take a leaf, pick a leaf, and hold it up to the sky 
and you can see the light through the leaf in little pinhole. It looks like little pinholes. They're actually oil glands, but the leaf looks like it has little punctures in it, hence the name um, Hypericum perforatum, or it has perforations in it. The leaf looks like it does. And there are lots of other Hypericum species that you can find at your local garden nursery, but those are not the medicinal ones. Hypericum has so many great uses. I like to make a tincture and an infused oil of it from the fresh flowers or the fresh flowering tops um, every summer. And the tincture is an excellent antiviral, especially for any sort of cold sores or especially for any kind of herpes family of virus, whether um, it's, you know, chicken pox or shingles, especially um, because it also has a benefit of reducing pain and also in improving the integrity of our nerves. So where shingles is a herpes virus that um, is in the nerves and causes a lot of pain. This is an excellent plant to help people who are dealing with that. And that can be applied topically in the infused oil, or and it can also be taken internally in the tincture. It's also a great gardener's plant because the tincture, if you take the tincture after you've had like a really big day in the garden, and you might have sore muscles, or even if you are an athlete or a marathon runner, um, it can really help to prevent really a lot of muscle stiffness and soreness after working out a lot. Um, the other benefit, especially for people that are outside a lot, is the infused oil makes a really nice sunblock. And I have very <clears throat> Irish, you know, pale skin and that burns very easily. And I find that if I apply the Hypericum infused oil on my skin, in the morning, um, and I might have to do a couple applications if it's a really hot, sunny day, that I do not burn. And it's amazing. Both olive oil is actually a natural sun repellent, so that's the oil that I use. And then I think the thought is maybe the bioflavonoids in the, in the plant itself, in the hypericum, is partly of what can help to protect from both sun damage and from getting sunburned. And then if I if I forget to put the sunblock on and I do get a burn, it's also really nice at easing uh, the pain from sunburns being applied afterward. Hypericum, you know, is kind of is known as the antidepressant herb and or the herb that helps people who are dealing with seasonal affective disorder. And that's true. Um, for some people, but it's maybe not like the number one uh, best use of the herb in my mind. I think of it more as antiviral and sun protection for myself. And it's just beautiful. And it tends to move around in the garden. And it the first year, it's very nondescript. It's very small. And it's just the leaves usually. And then the second year, it will get a little bigger and it will bloom 
you know, a little bit more. And it's nice to not harvest all the blooms because I like to always let it go to seed because it is a relatively short-lived perennial. Sometimes they'll live longer than three or four years, but sometimes it only lived two or three or four years and then it moves on. It kind of moves around in the garden area. And I just tend to let it come up where it's going to come up and I let it do its thing and it usually looks good wherever it is. And then once it goes to seed, you can cut it back and shake the seed out and spread it around to different areas of the yard um, that you want to see it pop up in the future. A plant that I like to always make sure that I have in my garden is plantain. And now this is a plant, Plantago major or Plantago lanceolata are the two main ones that grow around me. And it's not the most beautiful plant. It doesn't really have much of a showy flower at all. It just is a little stalk. And um, because it's wind pollinated, it's not it's just like a green stalk of a flower. But the leaves are nice and they're round and <clears throat> it's relatively nondescript. But for me, I like to always have it nearby in case I get stung by a bee or I get bitten by mosquitoes. Um, if I get a wound, if I get a cut in the garden or anything like that, it's a great first aid plant or also known as the band-aid plant to have on hand. So I always like to know where at least one of those plantain plants are growing in no matter what garden I'm working in. It tends to often like to grow in parking lots and where cars travel or where foot traffic goes because the seeds are, when they get wet, they get sticky. They have like a nice mucilaginous stickiness around them and that sticks to the bottoms of shoes and tires and that's how the population spreads. Yarrow, gotta have yarrow, right? The beautiful white wild yarrow, Achillea millifolium, is a plant that I like to have in just about every garden that I design. And these days there is a huge array of cultivars of yarrow that are all different colors that you can find. And so those are nice to pick up in the garden nursery for some nice uh, flashes of color in gardens that last a long time. And they even make a nice dried flower for dried flower arrangements, especially the moon glow yarrow, which is a bright yellow with silvery green foliage. However, for medicinal use, I only use the wild white yarrow the true Achillea millifolium, white variety of yarrow. And again, so many great benefits, especially for gardeners. Um, it can stop, it, it also similar to plantain can be used as a poultice on any sort of wound or cut to stop bleeding and stop infection to stop pain. The tincture of the yarrow aerial tops makes a really nice insect repellent. Sometimes if I'm working in a place that's just loaded with mosquitoes, I will soak a cotton swab with the tincture of yarrow and I'll kind of tuck it in under my tank top strap or my bra strap so it's kind of up near my face and it does definitely help to the scent of it keep 
mosquitoes at bay, which is nice. Um, and then it's just a great anti-infective herb for any sort of bacterial, viral, fungus infection. It can really nip it in the bud. So that's what I tend to go to yarrow for. Also is a nice, if there's any sort of issues with the gums in the mouth or infections in the mouth or the teeth, yarrow is a, a go-to for that as well. Sore throats, you know, um, strep throat, anything like that, I think of yarrow, tincture. Uh, also helping to regulate a fever. It's very beneficial for that in a tea. Um, another plant that I love, love, love to have in my garden is Colt's foot. And this is Tussilago farfara. And this is a classic herb. It used to be used a lot more than it is now to help ease uh, coughs and um, problems in the lungs, infections in the lungs. But it's thought to have pyrolizidine alkaloids in the leaves, and so it's mostly avoided now for internal use. Although some people smoke it, they smoke the leaves, and the flowers are often um, used instead of the leaves for a lung remedy. Even uh, flowers infused in honey works as like a nice little quick syrup uh, to help ease uh, coughs. <clears throat> and the, what I love about Colt's Foot is it's the first flower in the spring. And it's this beautiful, delicate little yellow flower. It almost looks like a mini dandelion to an untrained eye. Um, and the flower pops up before the leaf pops up, so it's just the flowers. And then as the flowers are going to seed and dying back, the leaves start to grow and come up. And they can, throughout the summer and into the fall, the leaves just keep growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger. And they stay low to the ground and they have almost like a silvery fuzz on them. And um, the plant is, it's beautiful, low-lying. It makes like a nice border plant or an edge plant maybe like between a lawn and a woodland or something like that or along a roadside it really kind of likes wet um, areas so you'll kind of see it growing along road ditches and whatnot um, I had it I planted I transplanted some from my friend's yard uh, when I first moved to my house and I planted it in this one spot and it grows on runners and it also spreads through airborne seed. So it is a plant that you have to be careful with because it can get a little out of control. But I, it's funny because I watch it from year to year and it just, from the one spot where I planted it, it's, it's every year it's kind of moved and it's no longer anywhere near where I planted it. And it's just kind of moved along the pathway where I planted it and up and by the front door of the house and then back. And now it's kind of working its way along the side of the house. I don't know if it's looking for a spot where it's going to be happier or if that's just its nature where it just kind of likes to move around. But that's been a really fun plant to watch. And it does, you know, um, grow on runners underneath the soil too so but then I also now have a patch of it further down in my field that I think has been 
spread by the airborne seeds, but it's a, it's a beautiful little spot. So I, I always like having patches of colt's foot around. Um, let's see another plant that I love to have in my gardens is violet and the house that I moved to the, all the gardens were totally overgrown and almost seemed like someone had just thrown wildflower seed mix in the gardens at one point, but there was tons of just these classic purple violets and the, the in the garden soil they just the leaves and the cause when they're not in the lawn or getting mowed the leaves get huge and beautiful and you know you have these beautiful purple flowers and then some have white flowers and then every once in a while there'll be a mutation and want and there'll be these really beautiful like pink streaked purplish white flowers which are fun little treasures to find and so they're beautiful in the spring, in May, when they're in bloom, and they make a really nice border plant. They do, you know, they make a nice clump. They're very solid looking and very neat and orderly. I like to kind of plant them along a path uh, as a walkway, which is gorgeous in the spring when they're all blooming. And then when everything else is blooming in the summer and they're just relatively nondescript, clumps of leaves um they still look really nice and um so I always like having those around and they are wonderful medicine very nutritive very soothing to mucous membranes throughout the body the digestive tract the lungs the skin um it's really fun to play with the flowers because you can get some really nice purple vinegars or purple simple syrups that you can play with when you extract those and work with the purple flowers. There's also a lot of um, research into you know them having uh, anti-tumor properties where they can actually reduce the growth of tumors and stop the growth of tumors, especially when uh, eaten fresh. So they make, they're, they're relatively slimy if you were to eat a lot of them because they're so mucilaginous and really healing to mucous membranes, but they are nice in sandwiches and salads and uh, you can dry them and use them in nourishing herbal infusions. And, oh man, there are so many plants I could go on forever, but I'll just mention one more um, for today, and that is... Well, I have to mention goldenrod, of course, Solidago species. And this is a plant that uh, you can even get it at plant nurseries. There's, you know, at least 90 different species of goldenrod. I really like the Solidago canadensis, um, but there's a whole variety of different ones. And they are some nice August and September, some late summer, early fall color in a garden. And they are really fun to work with as medicine. You can harvest them right as they start to bloom uh, for and dry them for tea is what I like to do. You can also, they're very mineral rich herbs, so you can infuse them in vinegar to make a mineral, mineral rich vinegar. And uh, even a tincture is nice uh, to help relieve congestion or um, especially in the sinuses or if you get really congested due to seasonal allergies, it can be really beneficial for helping to dry out those sinuses a bit. 
so that you can breathe. And it's kind of, it's known as an immune tonic, a nice thing to um, incorporate into your fall teas to prepare yourself for the coming winter. So those are a few of my favorite wild herbs to incorporate into gardens. The violet, the colt's foot, the self-heal, and the plantain are all nice, small, low-lying plants that make nice borders and edges, either on the edge of your lawn or on the edge of your garden or on the edge of a walkway. And then the taller, more stately mullein and the hypericum and the goldenrod make nice background plants for um, the middle or the back corners of gardens. And then the yarrow is just a kind of a middle height and is a nice clumping perennial that you can put in patches throughout your garden. And that looks really nice as well. So lots to play with there. I hope I have inspired and have gotten you thinking. It's March here in uh, Maine, and I'm obviously getting a little excited for the garden season, which is quickly approaching, uh, but things aren't quite growing yet. But soon enough, the colt's foot will be blowing, b- blooming, and that will be really exciting. So herbs may be best left wild for the healthiest plant because they are just growing where they want to be grown. But many do transplant well, and it's best to do so when they're very young. Or like I said, you can gather their seeds and spread them where you hope that they will grow in your garden. Sometimes they will just grow where they want to grow anyway. And you can allow that. That's just fine. I worked for this one woman who was an avid gardener and I was helping her to do some maintenance in her garden and she introduced me to this book that's called A Gentle Plea for Chaos and that's what I feel a wild garden is and I I bought the book because I loved the title and it's just kind of a gardening book through the season but the title is is epic for me and Really, you know, nature is chaos. And the more that I accept this, it helps me to navigate life in general and understanding that, you know, we don't have control as much as we would like to. And to find ways to encourage gentle chaos in in my life and especially in my garden. If you're interested in learning more about foraging medicinal plants or gardening herbs, you can check out my Patreon membership classroom. You can find it under the Solidago Herb School on the Patreon website. And keep checking in on the podcast. Uh, The Patreon membership classes mostly focus on seasonal foraging, gardening, and making herbal remedies. And I just um, am focusing on Usnia lichen for the beginning of this month. And then we'll get into some other topics related to that towards the end of the month. You can also find my... uh, 
podcast notes on the Patreon. It's open to the public. And it's basically the notes that guide me through the podcast. And sometimes there's, um, you know, I expand on the notes that I have, but then other times there's more notes than I actually get to. And I just basically copy, cut, and paste it on there. It is what it is, but I, I might be nice um, reference for you if you find this interesting. Also, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. And thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. And until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.